0: Great. Hi everyone. Um, This is my first ever MA phone meeting. I'm of the Zoom crowd, so I'm glad to be here. My name is Miles and I am an addict in recovery. Um, Thank you everyone for being here, whether you're doing service, listening, you're here tonight. That is a gift of recovery. A little bit about myself. I'm 24 years old. I'm a full-time caregiver for my mom, who is terminally ill, and I've been sober from marijuana for 769 days. Um, I've been sober from alcohol for over a year, and I do service in four different meetings. I work the steps with a sponsor, and I've made some really incredible connections with Fellows in Recovery um, and those friendships in addition to service, always keep me coming back. I guess I'll start sharing a little bit about um, my backstory, but I mostly wanted to talk about steps four and five today. Um, There has always been weed in my life. I grew up around marijuana, um, but I was a really anxious kid, and even when I was growing into my adolescence, I had a deep fear that Being intoxicated in any way, shape, or form would cause me to share all of my secrets. And I was very scared to kind of let that control go. Um, In middle school, I struggled with my sexuality and my identity. um, And I started seeing a therapist when I was in seventh grade. And I've been in and out of therapy ever since. So I'm pretty comfortable talking about myself. Um, From a young age, I was kind of learning how to analyze myself and other people, which served me in some ways, but in other ways made me a bit of a people-pleaser and a perfectionist. Um, I was diagnosed with anxiety when I was young, and the level of awareness I had of myself and other people Sometimes was a bit of a detriment as well as an asset. And it followed me throughout my teens um, and even into my 12-step work when I eventually got sober. Um, I smoked for the first time when I was a junior in high school with some friends. And I realized then that it would not cause me to share all of my deepest secrets and that actually letting go of that control um, that I really valued growing up felt great. And I smoked off and on. I think I started smoking daily in my sophomore year of college. I went to a really small liberal arts school in New York. It was pretty insulated and relatively isolated. It was outside of the city. And I struggled my first year, but I started really opening up to people when I would smoke with them my sophomore year. And I was in a long-distance relationship with someone who was also a stoner, and my closest friends were stoners. And after being lonely, for a lot of my first year, I found myself becoming really outgoing and um, started to think that I was funny and interesting when I was high. Um, And I was attracted to that, and I was attracted to people who I thought would bring that out in me. Um, and I continued smoking daily my sophomore and junior year. But the pandemic hit the beginning of my junior year and things kind of got turned on their head. So I had to leave my close donor friends in New York. Um, I'm from Portland, Oregon. So I flew back here. I finished school on Zoom that year. And that summer I turned 21. And that was a game changer because I'm in a legal state. And before that point, I had been self-consciously asking siblings or my dad to buy weed from the dispensary for me. But now that I was 21, I could kind of buy more than I ever would feel comfortable asking anyone else to buy for me. I could do it secretly. I was a pretty solitary stoner at that point, especially during the pandemic. I didn't get to have that social experience as someone who was buying their own legal weed. And... I just went off the deep end in terms of how often I was using. I would smoke while I was doing schoolwork. Um, And I felt like I had it under control for a couple of months. I was living in a studio apartment with a close friend, and the studio apartment was on my parents' property, but it was separate from their home. She wasn't much of a stoner, but I was always trying to encourage her to smoke. We were both trying to complete college online, on Zoom. We were both seniors. And it was the year of the 2020 election. We were very isolated, very um, COVID cautious. And around October of that year, someone that I was involved with romantically um, went to rehab and started having a really difficult time. And I also started having a really difficult time. I became really sick and kind of confused. And my roommate at the time did her best to take care of me, but I... Um, I was really nauseous. I was having early signs of CHS, which is cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, um, which is basically where your body, when it ingests THC, rejects it. And some people can get really bad cases of it. I think I was just at the beginning of it. And I could not stop throwing up. I was really exhausted. I stopped going to my classes online And after a while, around Thanksgiving of 2020, this friend who was living with me said, I can't do this anymore. And she moved out. And being alone in the space for the first time with all of my weed in a really dark place, literally and emotionally, um, I had kind of my first manic, psychotic break. And in retrospect, I know that it was an addiction-induced psychosis. I'd never had any kind of mania or break from reality, even though I'd struggled with my mental health for a long time. And I struggled quite a bit during those first few weeks, and it just got really bad really fast. I was hallucinating. I was delusional. um, And... After about five weeks, I finally agreed to go to a psychiatric hospital and get help. My family was super relieved that I was really resentful that that's where I had to go, and I was not convinced that anyone could help me. I got out in January of 2021. I was still using. The first thing I did when I got home from the hospital was smoke, and it brought my symptoms raging back just as strong as ever. And my mom, who I'm very close to, was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer two months later. I had to take a medical leave from school because I was on all these medications and I was still smoking, which you're not supposed to do. Um, And I kept smoking probably for another five, six months. After my mom was diagnosed, I was really miserable. And the final straw for me was I ended up going back to New York to finish college. I had one semester left. And I got high with an old friend and, We had gone out to a bar in Manhattan, and I started to hallucinate in bar, and I got really scared, and I told my friends we had to leave. I had a friend at the time who was in MA, but I'd never really taken their involvement in the program seriously. I knew it existed, and I decided to go to a meeting. And at that meeting, the lead, Cher, told us about her experience with a marijuana-induced psychosis, and I did not know that existed. But I said, that is me. That's what happened to me, and it's going to happen again if I keep smoking. It was very clear to me, and since that meeting, I have not smoked. Uh, That was November 6th of 2021, so it's been a little over two years for me. Um, And I think to some degree, I worked step one when I agreed to go to the psychiatric hospital. Um, in some way, I think I was really ready to admit powerlessness. It took a lot for me to admit that I needed help at that time in my life and by the time that I knew the program was there and the steps were there, I I moved on to step two pretty quickly. It became really apparent to me, um, that I needed to admit powerlessness and that I was powerless over marijuana. So, I found a sponsor and I started working the steps a couple of months into the program Steps four and five are the ones that really hooked me. Um, And they were, I completed my step five in August of this past summer. I'm working step six right now. And just as a refresher, um, step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. And step five is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. In step four, I wrote down my resentments, my fears, and my sexual history, and how each of these instances affected me and what part I played in all of them. Step four was vital to my recovery. It is every single day. And starting that step, I knew that if I spared any details, of my past, if I omitted any shameful memory, um, those really deep resentments I had against myself, which is the feeling of, you know, I can't believe I did that, what I've done is unforgivable, this thing I did makes me unlovable, um, that kind of fearful shame, if I wasn't willing to write those things down in my inventory, that kind of, shame, the sickness of that shame, I knew would lead to relapse eventually, because it would isolate me, it would make me feel alone, it would make me feel different. And those are the feelings that would lead me to smoke. Um, So I knew that, but it took me about nine months to finish step four. Felt like a very long time. (laughs) While I was doing it, And um, I was always looking for advice. I talked about Step 4 constantly in meetings. I met with my sponsor weekly through all of this. I had phone calls with fellows. Um, I read the literature again and again from the 12 and 12 from Life with Hope. Um, I looked up things online. I watched YouTube videos, listened to podcasts. trying to research my way into finishing my Step 4 when I really hadn't even started yet. You got some great advice. There's really good advice out there that works for some people. I couldn't seem to make it work for me. I have heard that you should be able to do your step four in one sitting. That didn't work for me. And I heard someone else say that you should be objective. You should be detached but honest. A metaphor of you should act like your past is a grocery store and walk down all the aisles and take inventory of what's in stock. And you say, what's here? You give it a description. You mark it on paper and you move on. You do it for everything. You don't linger, you don't justify. You keep it really simple. And then when you've walked through the entire grocery store, your entire life, you've written down everything you can find, then you're ready for step five. And all you have to do is read what you've written aloud to your sponsor or someone else who's trusted um, and to your higher power and yourself. And thinking about that at the time, I was just irritated because I was asking myself, why can't I do this? It seems so simple, um, but there's something blocking me. Is there something wrong with me? In a meeting, I heard a fellow say that it's not hard to be honest. Just write down the truth. You know what's true. I felt a lot of resistance to him saying that my memories of what has happened to me are not reality. They're what I remember about reality, and that's pretty slippery. Um, And any traumatic experiences I've had, they get even more slippery because my memories are not quite coherent. Um, If there was drugs or alcohol involved, it's even less coherent. And The memories that are especially shameful were even harder to recall because I would start justifying them in my mind or I would want to make someone the victim, usually myself. When I was working in Step 4, I desperately wanted to understand my past. I wanted to explain all of my resentments, my fears, my relationships, my secrets and why I had them. At one point, I said I was treating myself for like a personal research project, um, which is kind of antithetical to feeling things (laughs) that need to be felt in that process. Um, I was going through my journals that I've kept my whole life. I was reading old emails and looking at photos, and I was trying to find all this evidence of what had happened to me. I wanted to find something that was objective and true. Um, I wanted to be able to name exactly who had done me wrong and why I was innocent or conversely, find evidence that I was bad and horrible and unforgivable. And I kind of flip-flopped between those things for all these different memories I had. I was procrastinating I was putting off the step, but I was mostly avoiding my feelings about what had happened to me and what I had done to other people and myself. I was trying to make it this whole brain exercise and investigate um, things that, you know, were not tangible anymore. They were the past. I was afraid that I was doing the step wrong. And I really didn't want my step four to have any question marks. I wanted it to be squeaky clean and organized and detailed. And I wanted to have a really specific narrative around each and everything I wrote down. But it wasn't possible. It was my perfectionism. It was my self-analysis and my obsession with analyzing other people, um, That was definitely part of why the step took me so long to do, and I have a lot of compassion for myself when I look back at this. When I was doing my step four, it brought off a lot of scary memories and feelings, and I would talk to my therapist about it. At one point, I thought I had to up my psychiatric medication for my anxiety because it was getting so bad, And my psychiatrist said, you know, I actually think you just need to take a break with Step 4 and, like, see what your symptoms do. Um, And I was encouraged by people who helped me take care of my health, including my loved ones, to take breaks. And I was honest with my sponsor about this. And he said, as long as we keep meeting, meeting and you keep staying engaged with the program, you can take breaks. You know, there's no reason to not take a break. Um... And I knew that my mental health was a huge part of why I wanted to recover and be in recovery. My experience with psychosis is what brought me into recovery. And I knew um, what was at stake with my ability to get through the steps and for me to be involved in the program. Psychosis brought me and kept me in MA when I practiced step one today and throughout the week. That's a huge reminder for me as I am powerless over marijuana and I know that because I used it so obsessively and compulsively that I broke from reality. Um, And there's not really any way for me to justify using the substance knowing that that's what I did to myself with it. And I've been off of my psychiatric, my antipsychotic medication for over a year now. And I've had no recurrence of any symptoms related to mania or psychosis. And the people who help take care of me, my mental health team, um, are in agreement that the episode was drug induced. And as long as I stay away from it, it's not anticipated that I'll have any other symptoms like that. So I need to stay sober able to stay sane, literally, and to stay alive. Um, They say that addiction is a progressive disease, so if I were to start smoking again tomorrow, I would likely pick up exactly where I left off, and where I left off was weed causing hallucinations and paranoia, excuse me, and um, me not wanting to live anymore. And when I was doing step four, I knew that. I knew it was a stake, and I've known that ever since I got sober. So I say that because not only was step four about me procrastinating, it was also very precarious because I was walking a line between knowing I needed to be 100% honest, and yet I was terrified that in step five in sharing my inventory, that honesty would lead me to be rejected by my sponsor, which I was convinced that if I was rejected, would lead to relapse and psychosis. And at the same time, I worried that if I truly admitted and I was thoroughly honest, if I wrote down my deepest shames, that I wouldn't be able to accept myself, I wouldn't be able to finish the step, that I would give up and I would relapse and break from reality. And there was a part of me that was like, this is the only thing that's going to happen. And it petrified me and it paralyzed me and it kept me from sitting down and writing because I literally thought I wouldn't survive the step. Um, And it it took my sponsor after many months saying, you know, Miles, I don't know what else to do to help you other than to fly to Portland. He lives in San Francisco. I'm in Portland. And just sit next to you while you write your step four. And it was such a generous offer, and I accepted it. And he came and he visited me for a couple of days. He stayed at an Airbnb, and we would get coffee together, and we read a lot of literature out loud together. We talked. We ate lunch. And over the course of three days, I wrote my Step 4 inventory, and I finished it. And what I really needed was that support, but I also think I needed all of those months of struggling and resisting and then doing a little bit and then backing off. And when I was finally done with my step four the day before he left to go back to California, I was saying, well, I'm done with step four, but I'm really scared to do step five. (laughs) Um, I was really, really scared. I was scared of being judged. I was scared that, you know, not because I didn't trust him, but because I didn't have a lot of trust to begin with. I was scared that somehow he would gossip about me or that he would tell other people what I had told him, which I had no reason to think, but I was just a very scared person. I still am. Um, And I was mostly afraid to say the words out loud to myself and to admit what I had done and what had happened to me. And my sponsor very sincerely said, Miles, there is nothing you could tell me that would make me care about you any less. And I've never had someone say that to me. And it it was really hard for me to believe, but I did. And I resisted step five as well because I hated the idea of confessing something. But step five isn't we confess the exact nature of our wrongs. It says we admit. We admit the exact nature of our wrongs. And admission for me is more about acceptance. You know, no one could make me admit something I didn't want to admit. And I wasn't confessing because I wasn't asking for forgiveness. Um, admitting the exact nature of my wrongs to myself and other person and my higher power was... A practice and acceptance and of clearing away. And it is such a gift that I was able to have that experience. But my sponsor and I met through Zoom, and we don't live in the same city. And I knew that I needed to do my step five in person. Um, I knew that if I did it on the phone or if I did it over Zoom or video, that I would find a way to omit certain special little secrets, I didn't want to say the worst of the worst through a phone, through Zoom. Um, I didn't trust the technology. I didn't trust myself. And we found out a way for me to visit him in San Francisco so that I could do my step five face-to-face. And I remember when we first started, we were sitting in his backyard at this little patio and he was sitting across from me, my sponsor was, and he pulled up a third chair, which he sat in between us and he told me, as you do your step five, this chair is for your higher power. God, as you understand, God is here, is present, and they have a seat at the table. And everything you tell me, you're also telling your higher power. And you're also telling yourself, Um, And we sat and took that in, and I tried to kind of have a a visual of what that meant. And he reminded me, you know, that there was nothing I could tell him that he wouldn't be able to hold. And there was surely nothing that I could say my higher power couldn't hold. Um, For me, God, as I understand God, you know, they don't have this kind of human nervous system um that's overactive or that resists or clings and i don't feel like my higher power has any kind of judgment for what i had to share in my fifth step um and i was telling my sponsor about it that you know i think my higher power already knew everything on my step four and beyond and they still loved me and they still listened And admitting to them and my sponsor was about admitting to myself um, what I had done and my deep fears. And it was about coming into truth for probably the first time in my life. There were things I shared that I said I would never, ever share. Not with people that I loved. Certainly not with, you know, a spouse if I ever got married. That I would die having not shared these things. And um, the 12 steps, and this step in particular, completely rearranged my idea of what a secret was and why I kept them, and that kind of unburdening is something I'm so grateful for. It's one of the pieces of 12 steps that I think about every day, and that on a daily basis the lack of shame that I feel in my life is really surprising. It's the kind of freedom that I didn't think I'd ever have. Um, And to be able to let go of the things that I shared in my fifth step is, it it greatly improves my quality of life to this day. Um, And reading my step four out loud in San Francisco My sponsor was kind, my sponsor was present, I was kind and present, and I also had this image of God as I understand, God listening with kind of a gentle smile and just saying, I know, that must be so painful, and thank you for telling me, and you don't have to be alone. And nothing bad happened when I shared what I thought was the baddest of the bad Surprisingly enough, my sponsor was able to relate to me. And all throughout that trip, I felt really sick and dizzy. It was like shame was physically all over my body. And the feelings weren't there while I was actively sharing them when we would take breaks because it took several hours for me to get through my Step 4 inventory. I felt super lightheaded and disassociated. And unwell, I was having horrible vertigo, which is something I've never had before. And I got so concerned, I actually called my doctor from San Francisco and said, I think I'm really sick. Something's wrong with me. And we talked about it. And my doctor said, you know, is there anything going on emotionally in your life that could be causing new symptoms? And when I explained what I was doing with the 12 steps, he said, oh, I think you're just having like a somatic response to this. And I have a feeling your symptoms are going to go away when you finish the step. And he was right. <laughs> like, when I was done and I flew home and I slept for several hours and I was fine. Um, but it was a reality check for me because that, that shame, that, like, nausea, that drop in your stomach... I had that every day when I would be reminded of these resentments, whether they were against myself or like a deep anger and a shame that would come up when I remembered something from my past that I thought, this is normal. Like, this is just what I'm gonna feel forever. Even if I stay sober, even if I'm in recovery, like these horrible feelings I have about myself and other people are not gonna go away and they're stuck in me and like I deserve to feel this way, which is not how I feel having finished that step anymore. Um, and while I was struggling with those steps, I talked about them. I journaled about them. I brought them to meetings. And I, once I finished, I was talking to someone and they said, do you think you could have done it in any less amount of time? And I said, no, like I, I do think that it took me nine, nine months to do steps four and five because that's what I needed to do. Um, like, I needed to go through all of that resistance and that stopping and starting and that stopping and starting again. Um, when I wasn't writing my step four, I was thinking about it. I was dreaming about it. I was talking about it. Um, all the procrastinating and the journaling, all of it. That was me working on my step four, um, at some points, my sponsor would very kindly and calmly ask me if I actually wanted to do the steps because I was so resistant to writing my inventory. And when I said, yes, I do want to do the steps, he would just trust me and he'd say, okay, keep going. We'll keep meeting weekly and we'll keep talking about it and we'll keep working on it. And he was really patient and I was really patient and my fellows were really patient every time that I would talk to him about my Step 4 again. And I started calling them my Step 4 blues because it was just a, almost a year of the Step 4 blues um, that I, I got through, and now I'm about to finish my Step 6. Clearly being honest with myself on Step 4 was not easy for me. I had a lot of resistance, a lot of contraction, like this very tight feeling where part of me just kept saying, no, 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 I don't want to do this. I don't want to write these shameful words down. You know, I feel like I'm going to die. If I do this, this is impossible. I had to feel that. And I have now identified perfectionism as one of my character defects in step six. And, oh, that character defect was right there holding my hand through all of step four. And the steps are in order for a reason. And, like, I wouldn't be able to name perfectionism as one of my biggest shortcomings had it not been so present with me in um, in my step four. And I'm ready to keep moving with the steps. And I'm also so grateful that I took the time I needed and that I had people in community and people who cared about me who let me take that time. And I think that if I had tried to force myself or or if anyone else had tried to force me to hurry up or finish or do it differently, I either would have given up or gotten angry or finished it without being thorough and then would have had to go back eventually and have that experience of resistance and shame. And um, that's just part of my character. It's part of my character flaws, but it's also you know, being thorough and detail-oriented and um, those things are assets and I'm learning more about that part of myself Myself in step six. Um, and I so appreciate opportunities like this to share at a meeting that um, allows me to think back on my recovery and it brings me forward in my recovery. And everyone who's, who's here tonight, like, I'm really grateful for it Um, I think that's all I have to say but thank you for listening and I yeah I think that's it for me so I'll mute now and um, hope your recovery is long and that you have another day where you get to enjoy it Um, welcome to any newcomers we're glad you're here okay bye